Well, we had a good day in church today, didn't we? This, this whole idea of engage um, and getting us to focus on how we are going to interact with people in the world for the gospel. And the, what the Scripture does for us, the way the Bible describes the Scriptures and what they do for us, how important that is. And then tonight, I wanted us to look at how we can understand the Bible for ourselves. I did this uh, when I was at that meeting out in uh, Washington State a couple of weeks ago. And this is the way that we began it on, in the Sunday school hour. I wanted We were doing a biblical answer to Reformed theology. And I wanted them to understand... Um, how we approach the Scriptures. Do you realize most people who go to church don't have any idea how to approach the Scriptures? They don't know how to understand it. They'll read it, but, they don't, but often they don't understand what they read because they've not been taught how the Bible is put together or how they can study it for themselves. And so um, some of this is new. Some of it, uh, you, uh, those of you who have been here for a long time, would have heard before. But uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study Your Word tonight and as we learn how to study your word better. But Lord, it doesn't matter how much we learn about how to study if we don't study. So Lord, help us to be renewed in our love, our passion, uh, and our investment in your word. Help us to engage it so we know how to engage the culture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at your handout. We're going to start right at the top. We're going to engage scripture. So number one, I must settle in my heart and mind some foundational truths. I must settle in my heart and mind some foundational truths. And the first one is, letter A, the Bible is an open book. Now, I'm seeing some of you guys that aren't filling this out because your wives are doing it or something. It's not acceptable. All right, this is a learning exercise, and you learn by writing as well. Um, you know, that's something that they are discovering, that when people read books on e-readers, they don't remember the information the same way they do with a book because of the tactile uh, uh, responses and the way that your body works. And when you write something, that helps you to remember it. Um, so that's why your wives are smarter than you guys because they write every... I never write anything. Laura writes it all. All right? So I want everybody to be interacting with this material. Letter A. And just one last comment. I saw Justin Yeo coming in, and the sun was behind him, and it looked like he had a different color shirt on. And so I thought he'd chosen a winner, and then the, then it came in, and I saw it was the Browns. And All right. Letter A, the Bible is an open book. <laughs> the Bible is an open book. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, it's explained in letter B. I can understand the Bible. I can understand the Bible. Um, one of the number one questions I get when I travel and preach from pastors as well as people in the church, can you teach me how to do what you just did? Can you teach me how to find the things in Scripture that, that you have shown us here today? Um, and that's what this is about. That's, that's what this is about. Now, isn't it wonderful that I didn't invent it? You know, I'm just taking the information that other people have taught us, and we you know, move it around a little bit to keep it fresh, and then we learn how to do it so that we can teach it to somebody else. All right, so letter A, the Bible is an open book. Letter B, I can understand the Bible. Then letter C, beware of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
mentioned by Jesus in Revelation 2. So let's look at that. Revelation chapter 2. Now, this is Jesus, and He is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and He has commended them, He's told them some good things, and then He he tells them some things that they've not done right. But look at what He says in verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see what that says? But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, I want you to notice something. In our culture, we're not supposed to hate things. You know, that's supposedly bad. You know, the idea of multiculturalism, that all ideas are equal. Well, that's just not scriptural, is it? The Bible tells us there's some things that we're supposed to hate because Jesus Christ hates them. Uh, Look in uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 15. And so now this is to the church at Pergamos. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So here we are, two generations later, and Jesus Christ still hates, the, the now, but now it's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So I want you to think about something. <clears throat> the deeds of the few in one generation can become the doctrine of the many in the next. That's what happened here. So what is Nicolaitanism? Now, it's a big word, right? So what in the world is a Nicolaitan? And it's interesting that when you read most of the commentaries, they don't explain it. What this is, is it's a transliteration. So here's what a transliteration is. Imagine that you have a word with Greek letters. What they did was they took the Greek letters and changed them to English letters. So they didn't translate the word, they transliterated the word. All right? So here you have basically a Greek word, Nicolaitan, that is, it's a compound word. So that's one word that's made up of two words. And here's what the words mean. Nico, that's to lord over the laetans, the laity. So what Jesus hates is the concept of the priesthood and the laity. Jesus hates that. That's what the Bible says. And the, the concept here is that the priesthood would lord over the people when it comes to Scripture. Tori, is that a Bible? Yeah. <laughs> you can't have that. You're, you're not allowed to read. You need me so that you can understand this. You're not, you're not, you're not allowed. Here, Isaiah, what are you doing with the Bible? You're not allowed to have that. That's Nicolaitanism. And you know that for centuries, the Catholic Church would kill anybody who put the Bible in the language of the people. Did you all know that? And what is that? That's Nicolaitanism, all right? When John Wycliffe translated the Bible... Um, they wanted to kill him, but he got away. And after he died, they dug up his bones and burned them. William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, he was killed for translating the Bible. It was against the law to have the Bible in the language of the people. That's Nicolaitanism. The reason that the Catholic Church didn't want the Bible in the language of the people was because they would see that the doctrines that they were teaching weren't actually found in the Bible. And so you couldn't allow the people to teach the Bible. And so what they will say today, even yet, and how many of you have heard this? Well, I know it says that, but we must, the church has interpreted that passage to mean 
this. How many of you ever heard someone say something like that? You're not supposed to interpret the Bible. The Holy Spirit interprets the Bible. We read the Bible and submit to it. See the difference? So Nicolaitanism would be the idea of me because I'm a Bible, I went to Bible college and, and I am a trained pastor giving you the idea that, look, you really need me because you, you can't really understand the Bible without me. That's just not true, folks. That is not true. Do you know the only difference between any of us in the accessibility of the Scriptures? The only difference is intelligence. Now, how many of you understand that there's different levels of intelligence? Right? So th that's, that's very real. And time. The amount of time that you put into it. You know that you can't... There's only a very few things that you could be expert at. Well, if you want to be expert in the Scriptures, or at least as much as you are able, the only thing that's going to help that is time. So the only thing that is going to keep uh, make a difference in our accessibility to the Scriptures is our intelligence and the amount of time we put into it. But there's a third thing that we'll look at in a minute. But, so the, the key here is, yes, I'm a pastor. God has called me to be a pastor. And as far as gifting, God has given me, uh, He has gifted me to be able to teach. How many of you recognize that teaching is a gift? There are some people that are good teachers and there are some people that are bad teachers. Man, I had some teachers in college. You've got to think, how did this guy get this job? Did any of you have those, those teachers? I remember this one teacher. I don't want to say his name. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And he talked like this. Turn to two, Peter. Two, two. He said that when my wife first we got married. My wife couldn't cook a can of corn. So he sounded like Bullwinkle, you know? <laughs> and he could talk for so long without saying anything. He was not gifted to teach. Great guy. Should have been doing something else. You all know what I'm talking about? So as a pastor, I'm, one of the qualifications for a pastor is apt to teach. So I, I need to be gifted to teach. But because I can communicate the Scriptures, that doesn't mean that I have more access to the Scriptures. You children have the same access to the Bible that I do. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so it's very important that we do not fall into this concept of Nicolaitanism, which is lording over the people with the Scriptures. And that is a hierarchy that you have the priesthood that can understand the Bible and everyone else who can't. You know, when you get saved, you become a priest. It's called the priesthood of the believer. The Bible says that we are priests and kings. The Bible says that we're a, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's what the Bible says. So all of us have access to the Word of God. Now, how many of you believe that? All right, so now the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we taking advantage of that access that we have to the Bible? Okay, Roman numeral number two. I will learn the Bible as the Holy Spirit teaches me. This is our third uh, requirement, the thing that will make a difference in our access to the Scriptures. I will learn the Bible as the Holy Spirit teaches me. Letter A, pride kills. Pride kills. The Bible says knowledge puffeth up. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen someone that's puffed up? You know, they're just full of themselves, prancing around like a peacock. Your knowledge of the Scriptures is not something to uh, give you, to, to, to take pride in. 
If you know the scriptures, you're just one beggar showing another beggar where you have found bread. Amen? And I, I think that um, I don't now, uh, I don't know that any of us study as much as we could. Is, is that fair? I think that all of us could devote more to it. Look at the verses that we have printed for you on your page. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. But look at letter B right above that. How much you learn depends solely upon your walk with God. How much you learn depends solely upon your walk with God. And here's the idea. You'll learn the Scriptures as you study the Scriptures. But if you refuse to submit to what you've learned, the Holy Spirit's not going to take you to that next level of understanding. That's, that's just the way it is. That's so clear in the Scriptures. Look at, look, look at the next verse that we have, or the next passage we have printed for you. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. I want you to think about something in that passage. You know, there are some churches that all they ever talk about is the Holy Ghost. Right? That's not biblical. You know who the Holy Ghost wants you to talk about? Jesus Christ and the Father. He's not going to speak of Himself. He's not going to represent Himself. He is teaching us about the Son and the Father. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to talk about the Holy Ghost. But if our, if our emphasis is the Holy Ghost, we have it out of whack. Is that fair? In our teaching. Let me say this. You can't understand the Bible without the Holy Ghost. Is the Holy Ghost important? Yes, yes. But we've got to keep it in the right perspective. The next verse we have there is, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. All right, letter C. And I'm going to try and keep going. We have a lot of information, so I'm going to try and go fast through this. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. This only applies to believers who have the Spirit. So how does a person get the Holy Spirit? You've got to get saved. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we, all, we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. All right? You get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, it, it says it very clearly that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. After that, ye heard the gospel of truth and you believed. After that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when you are saved. So you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. But look at, we have the verse printed here again, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man, that's the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So what that's saying is that there are some things that you can only know if you're saved. That you can only really understand the Scriptures if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Because the natural man, the lost man, just can't see it. You ever been talking about the Lord or things from the Word of God with someone at work and they look at you like you have three heads? They don't have any idea what you're talking about. 
Now, it's sad when it's a believer who doesn't have any idea what you're talking about. How many of you have had that happen to you? Because they're not taught or they've not studied. But their ability to understand the Bible is there. For the lost person, their ability to understand it, it's not there. It's not there. This is one of the wonderful gifts that we get when we're born again. All right, number three. Roman numeral number three. I will learn the Bible by learning the factors that focus Bible study. I will learn the Bible by learning the factors that focus my Bible study. Um, now, if I said it like Jeff Adams, it would be the factors that focus Bible study. How I many of you remember? He's kind of like a Sean Connery uh, guy. Um, so the first, the first of the factor, letter A, the context factor. The context factor. And so there we have whose mail am I reading? Whose mail am I reading? When we're talking about the context, I think that most of us understand it, but I, I, I don't know that we apply it. So let's, for example, go to James chapter 1. I was listening to uh, James Knox earlier this week or last week, and he has a series on how to study the Bible, how to study, how to read and study the Bible. And he was talking about context. And what he did was he would read passages of Scripture that appear to be contradictions. But in the context, they're not contradictions at all. They're talking about two different things. And it'd be good, maybe I'll put some of that together for you sometime. But this is a good illustration of it. Look at James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Christian church at Sydney. Is that what your Bible says? What's it say? To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now look, now do we have any Jewish people here? Do we have any Jewish people? All right, so this book is not addressed to you. Is that right? Christians get real nervous. Now our church doesn't. But when I say this in other places, they get real, I'm not supposed to read James. That's not what I said. What I said was it's not addressed to you. It's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You wouldn't believe how nervous preachers get when you say that. It's hilarious watching them. And all I've said so far is it's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Now, let's... Am I stretching the text? Am I interpreting it? What am I doing? I'm reading it. So here's the key. Here's the question. Is that significant? Is who it is addressed to significant? Okay? Um, it's like this. Laura writes me a letter. And she says, Jim, I can't wait until I see you. When I see you, I'm going to give you a big kiss. All right? Well, Denver finds that letter. And he reads it. But he doesn't look at who it's addressed to. How many of you think we have a recipe for some trouble here? I'm just telling you, Laura would beat him like pancake batter. <laughs> but what's, the, what's the issue? Who was it addressed to? It's addressed to me. Uh, in the scriptures, the books that are specifically addressed to the church are the church epistles. 
It's very simple. That doesn't mean the other passages aren't for us. The Bible says very clearly, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Isn't that right? But you can't understand it until you understand who it's addressed to. That is one of the keys to context. So when you're talking about context, it is which testament is it in, the Old Testament or the New Testament? Which book is it in? Who was the book addressed to? Uh, And then what part of the book is it in? Uh, All of those things, those are context, and they're vital to our understanding of the Scriptures. I I did the lesson on Reformed theology out there. Go to Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Uh, Look at verse uh, 17. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Um, So here in this text, these these passages, the, the Calvinists get all worked up about these passages, and they act as if it has to do with the way that a person gets saved. All right? But look at chapter 9, look at verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for the Gentiles. Is that what it says? For the church. No. For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. What's this talking about? It's talking about Israel. He wants Israel to be saved. That's the context. Talking about the nation of Israel. It's, It's so clear. And that's what context, that's why context is so important. Um, when you get to, Re- to Romans chapter 11, the, Israel is mentioned 36 times in Romans chapter 11. Who do you think the chapter's about? It's about Israel. And yet people get so confused about it. You know what's interesting is that, um, as it is written, Jacob have I lo- loved, but Esau have I hated. This is really interesting. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 22. I'll make that Genesis 25. All right, so God's speaking to Rebecca, and He says to her, um, if you look at verse 22, And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. That's the way Andrea feels right now. <laughs> Two nations are in thy womb. So how do we understand Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated? The nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. That's exactly the context. That's not reading into anything. That's reading the text and understanding the context. 
And maybe I'll preach the whole chapter sometime. We'll tie it all together. But that's where context becomes so important, context. And I'll I'll tell you this. All of the heresies in the world come from taking Scripture out of context. All of the heresies in the world come from taking the Scripture out of context. We've got to be careful that we don't do that. Letter B, time factor. Time factor. The Bible has proper divisions, and you must understand these divisions in order to understand the message. The time factor. All right, so what are we talking about with time factor? Well, was a book written before the cross or after the cross? How many of you think that's significant? Right? How many of you ever heard this? The people in the Old Testament were looking forward. They got saved by looking forward to the cross. How many of you heard somebody say that? It's completely false. There's not a verse in the Bible that says that. Nothing. The, the disciples didn't have any idea that Jesus was going to die on the cross. He told them. They just didn't hear it. Right? They didn't have any idea. Look at John chapter 20, I think. Yeah. You know, there's all these people that think that the disciples were walking around preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ before He died. People preach that. I hear it preached constantly. Look at this text. This is after the resurrection. So look at John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. And so she sees that it's... that the, that the it's empty and the stone's taken, verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid Him. Now, why, why would they say that? If they were expecting the resurrection of Christ after three days, wouldn't they have been there on that morning, you know, sitting there in their lawn chairs, the popcorn, waiting for the, roll, the, the stone to be rolled back? It's not what happened. Look at what it says when, they, uh, when Peter and John come running to the tomb. Verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also, just you young people, I want you to see this. It's really important. Jesus always made his bed. Okay? Um, look at verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, okay, so this is John who's writing this, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? That it was empty. He didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Do you know how I know that? Again, this is one of those things that you've got to go to Bible college, and you need my level of education to see. You guys wouldn't see this if I wasn't here. Read the next verse. For as yet... They knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. Aren't you glad I'm here to show that to you? Now, honestly, is that clear? Seriously. Why do people preach it wrong then? It's one of those things that makes my head want to explode. Uh, Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 10. Context. Was it before... The resurrection or after the resurrection? Time factor. Time factor. Mark 9, let's start reading in verse 9. They're coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they came down from the mountain, He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Okay, so here's Jesus saying, don't tell anybody this until I'm risen from the dead. Now, how many of you understand what Jesus is talking about there? 
One? How many of you understand what Jesus Christ is talking about there? Okay. Let's see these disciples. Let's see what they thought. Verse 10. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another, what the rising from the dead should mean. Jesus says, don't talk about this until I rise from the dead. What's he talking about? And yet you've got people going around teaching that, that what they're preaching is the resurrection of Christ. Look at Luke chapter 18. Time factor. Look at verse 31. <clears throat> Luke 18, 31. And he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they went about preaching this in all of the villages. That the text says? No. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Okay? So now we have a time factor here. They didn't understand the death, burial, and resurrection until the death, burial, and resurrection. Am I making that up or is that really clear from Scripture? I mean, it just couldn't be any clearer. And there's verse after verse, passage after passage that teaches that. And yet you still have people that say, well, people before the resurrection, they were looking forward to the cross. Where did you hear that? Where did you read that? Well, I heard it in a Southern Gospel song. Okay, great. That's awesome. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. That time factor, it's so important. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I think I have this reference, at least a reference printed for you there. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the passages that a Calvinist likes to go to uh, to prove that we're predestined to salvation. Verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be saved. that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto salvation. No, unto the adoption of children. And so it goes on and gives these characteristics, then you get to verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. All of these things are true of someone who trusts in Christ. First is a time word. It helps you understand the passage. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. So he's building an argument here. You first trust in Christ, but you can't trust in Christ until you've heard the gospel of truth. Is that right? Well, the Calvinist teaches that God regenerates you and then you believe. This is just the opposite of that, isn't it? And this is where time words. So time words, uh, that is when it happened in history, 
Before the cross, after the cross. Before Israel was a nation, after Israel was a nation. Uh, all of those issues, they help you to understand what's going on in the text. That's, that's actual time. The time words are also when, if, until. Look at uh, Romans chapter 11. Replacement theology teaches, and that's what Roman Catholicism holds to and um, Reformed theology holds to this, all right? Because the Reformed theology got it from Augustine, who is the father of Roman Catholicism. So look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part... Is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So that idea of replacement theology is that the church replaced Israel so that all of the promises that God made Israel now apply to the church. Well, that can't be true because blindness has come to Israel until. What is that? So what does until mean? That it's going to end. The blindness is going to end. And then what's going to happen when, when it ends? Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. God's not done with Israel. And yet there are so many people that can't understand the Bible because they take all the promises for Israel and apply them to the church. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And so those, those time words are very important, the time factor. Let her see the people factor. The people factor. There is no understanding of the Bible without a proper understanding that the Bible is written to three types of people. There is no understanding of the Bible without a proper understanding that the Bible is written to three types of people. All right, look at 1 Corinthians 10.32. Bible says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So, look at your handout. There are three groups of people. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. You know, sometimes Christians call themselves Gentiles. Well, you're not a Gentile anymore. You're part of the church of God. Someone who is saved, they're not identified by their Jewishness anymore. They're part of the church of God. Isn't that awesome? So, that's where sometimes... How many of you have seen a Messianic... Uh, congregation. How many of you have seen uh, something like that? They get a little messed up on this. That's an area where they struggle. Now, let me just say this. Praise God for Jews that are getting saved and worship together. You know, hallelujah. I'm not going to bust on them. But it would be better if they just became a part of the church with, you know, Asians or, or blacks or whites or uh, you know, American Indians or, or whatever. Right? I mean, we're all just one blood. We're all the same in the body of Christ. There's not Jew nor Greek. That, 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 that wall, that partition between us has been broken down by the cross. Isn't that wonderful? So we understand that now that we're all just a part of the church of God if we're saved. And yet, if you're going to understand the Bible, who was he talking to? Was he talking to the Jew? Was he talking to the Gentile? Or was he talking to the church of God? And God was so interested in this. It's, this is so cool. God, how many of you think that God wants us to understand what's going to happen in the future? Right? We looked at Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. All right? So we understand that, that Jesus Christ wants us to know what's happening. So for the Jews, He wanted them to know what was going to happen in the future, so He gave them the book of Ezekiel. 
For the Gentiles, he wanted them to know what was going to happen in the future, so he gave them the book of Daniel. And for the church of God, he wanted us to know what's going to happen in the end times, so he gave us the book of Revelation that you can't understand unless you read the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel. Isn't that awesome? So if you're going to understand the Bible, you have to understand the, the people factor. Who is being addressed? Remember, some people say, remember, the first Christian was a Jew because Jesus Christ was Jewish. What I'd like to say to somebody about that was, yes, but the first Jew was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile, and God made of him a great race called Hebrews because of his father. His name was Eber. That's where the name Hebrew comes from. And so you, from Adam until Abraham, all you had were Gentiles. From Abraham until Jesus Christ's resurrection, crucifixion, all you had were Jews and Gentiles. After the crucifixion, remember Jesus Christ said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. The New Testament began with the death of Christ. Time factor, very important. So then from that point on, now you have Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. That's who you're dealing with. You can't understand the Bible unless you see that distinction. And let me say this very clearly. The reason for the most misunderstanding of Scripture is the failure to see a distinction between Israel and the church. If you can't see a distinction between Israel and the church, you cannot understand your Bible. You'll mess it up every time. It's vital that we get that. All right. Um, letter D, the measured words factor. The measured words. I know that some of you are wishing that I had this factor. The measured word factor. Now look at what this means. God chose to use a limited number of words in the Bible, so every one of them is in the Bible for a specific purpose. I love this one. It's so important. Look at John chapter 21. John 21. Brother Knox made reference to this while he was here with us. The Bible says, And there are, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, here's what people think. They'll read that and they'll say, well, that's just hyperbole. No. How long has Jesus lived? How long? Forever. From everlasting. Whose goings forth, Micah 5.2, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What was He doing before the beginning of the world? We don't have any idea. You know why? It's not written down. You know why? The books of the world couldn't contain it. That's cool. That tells you how precious this is. God chose a limited number of words to use. That means there are no extra and there are none that are unimportant. The difference between the way that Grace Baptist Church and churches that believe the way that we do and all the other churches in the world is this. We believe every word of this book. This is what we believe. And that's why when we preach the Bible, when Brother Knox preached to us last week, and he preaches passages that we have all seen and read all of our lives, and he gets done, and you go... Never saw it that way. And all he did was start at the beginning of the chapter and go to the end of the chapter and tell you what it said. What's the difference? He looked at every word. 
He looked at every word. Um, I don't know if you were here when he was talking about the eagle landing in the stars. How many of you are here when he did that? Where do you find that? He just notices the words in the Bible. He remembers them. And you get an understanding of the world that just shows what a great God. And so that's where this measured words factor is so vitally, vitally important. Well, I think we're going to stop there and we'll continue this on. I don't want to lose you. Isn't this good? How many, of you, how many of you either learned something or you were reminded of something tonight that you didn't know? This is such a valuable study for us. Let's just keep it up. We, gotta, we, we need to engage Scripture. And I want you to be renewed and invigorated in your own personal study of the Scriptures. All right? Now, I know you all have been packing up, but st- stop that for a minute and look at me. I want to tell you something. All right? Very important. You all know why this is important as I say this. Do you, all this stuff about the Bible, do you, know what this, do you know what this is about? Do you know why God gave this to us? So that we could know about Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And what is the most important thing that you and I need to know about Jesus Christ today? That is, He died for our sins. You and me. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. And He died on the cross to pay for your sin. There are no good people. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, There's none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Sometimes people ask, Why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. There aren't any good people. All of us are sinners. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, The Bible says this, The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. We've all violated God's law. Is that right? And the penalty for that is death in hell. Anybody here want to go to hell? I don't. I don't. Jesus Christ didn't want you to go to hell either. And that's why in Romans 5, 8 it says, But God commendeth His love. He showed. He proved. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we don't have to go to hell, so that we can go to heaven. But He didn't stay dead, did He? No, no. The gospel is this. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead the third day. And then, do you know what He did? He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and He's making intercession. What is that? He's our go-between. How many of you want to go to heaven? (laughs) You'd really like to go to heaven when you die. Not today, necessarily, but but you want to go to heaven. There's only one way to go to heaven. John 14, 6, very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's only one way to go to heaven. Lots of churches, one way. That's it. Lots of belief systems, one way. Jesus Christ. That's it. You might be saying, well, my priest says this, or my pastor says this. You know what? I've heard some Baptist preachers say some really weird stuff. Amen? It doesn't matter what a Baptist preacher says. What matters is what the Bible says. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The the Bible says this in 1 John, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And then the Bible says there's only two types of people in the world. 
Not rich and poor, not black and white, not short and tall. Only two kinds of people in the world. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you have the Son of God dwelling in you, then you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son of God dwelling in you, you don't have eternal life. And if you don't have eternal life, do you know what that means? That means if you died today, you would go to hell. And you would spend eternity in torment, separated from our wonderful, precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Does Jesus want that to happen? The Bible says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's my question for you. Young people, I know some of you are here to go to Kings Island, and we have some other folks here that are visiting. It's very important that you get this. There's only one way to go to heaven. It's not what the Baptist preacher says. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's only one way, and that is asking Jesus Christ to save you and receiving the free gift of eternal life that He wants you to have. If you're not sure that you'd go to heaven tonight, we'd like to take the Bible and show you for sure how you can know. It would be the greatest day of your life to where you could have that assurance that you can go to heaven when you die. You ready for this? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I died today, I'm going to heaven. That's wonderful. I got that settled when I was 15. From that time on, I've known. Why? Because I believe what God said about my eternity. And I hope you can say that about yours. If you can't, we can get that for you today. We can take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to learn it, to teach it.